Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive faith community deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. I'm Reverend Jen Crow. I'm one of the ministers here at First Universalist Church. Now, like we do every week when we gather together, whether it's on Wednesday nights at seven for a half an hour worship or on Sunday mornings like this, or wherever you are in the midst of your week, we settle in and arrive together by taking three breaths on purpose together. So I invite you into that process and that practice with me now. As we take a moment to feel our feet, to feel our bodies, to arrive here and now. And I invite you as you're comfortable to take these three intentional breaths with me so that we might connect across space and time. Together breathing in, together breathing out. Together breathing in, and together breathing out. Together breathing in, and together breathing out. Please join us in saying the words for lighting our showers. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Good morning, everyone. Our story this morning is about perseverance. So there was a king who was looking for the right people to help him run the kingdom. And he decided to set a challenge to, to see which people have the right mindset to be the kingdom's advisors, people who won't give up at the first sign of hard times. And for any candidate to pass the challenge, they had to wear the royal armor and climb 500 stairs to the top of the mountain where the king's castle was. So many people came from around the kingdom, of course, to take on the challenge. But as soon as they put on that heavy armor, they realized that it was probably an impossible task. And most of them took the first step, but then they looked up at the remaining 499 steps and they gave up. A couple of people managed to get to the second step, but then decided to give up. And so it went on for the next couple hundred citizens, some making it even to the third step. But the king was looking really worried. He wondered if there were any people worthy of joining the advisory committee for the kingdom. And so everybody came and tried their luck with the challenge. Everybody that tried the challenge came and they stayed because they wanted to see who could possibly actually accomplish the challenge. They didn't think it could be done because everybody had failed. And so even the strongest soldiers tried and failed. The best athletes tried and failed. The hardest working people tried and failed. Nobody could do it. 
and they all blamed the armor and the steps. If only the armor were lighter, if only the steps weren't so steep, wah, wah, wah. But then a small group of friends arrived. They said, the royal court must be able to work together. So we would like to face the challenge as a team. And the king said they could. They could all climb the steps at the same time, but each person has to wear their own whole suit of royal armor. And so they agreed and they circled up amongst themselves. And each one promised all the others that they would not leave anyone behind and that they would not give up until they reached their goal. So they each brought an extra thing or two that they knew everyone would need, water, songs, planks, so that their friend in the wheelchair wouldn't be left behind. And then they each put on the heavy armor and went toward the steps. The spectators all yelled that they wouldn't be able to get past the first step, but they made it to the second step, actually kind of quickly. But then they could barely move another centimeter. And so they each took a deep breath and they pushed themselves up the next step. By the fourth step, they felt like they were about to drop. They were sweating and panting and exhausted, but they decided to push on. They kept saying to themselves and to each other, one stair at a time. We just need to make this one. And as they, as they got to the fifth step, someone collapsed. Everybody in the group gathered around her and did what they could to help. They gave her water. They adjusted her armor so she could get some cool air on her face. Somebody passed out snacks. And they all rested until their friend had enough energy to climb again. So this went on, on and on, climbing a few steps, then them stopping to care for each other and to rest until gradually they climbed higher and higher. Now, when they reached the hundredth step, they began to feel a slight pull from the top. Their armor felt a little bit lighter. So despite their achy muscles, they decided to climb one more stair saying to each other, we're not ready to give up yet. And to their surprise, on the next stair, their armor felt even lighter. They felt really tired, but they kept encouraging each other. We can climb one more stair. And so the ragtag group continued. With each stair, they climbed closer to their goal. When they completed this challenge, the king first congratulated them and then shared with them a secret about the challenge. I hit a magnet. <laughs> he said, I hit a magnet toward the top of the mountain. You see, the point of the challenge was to make sure that the people who serve the kingdom won't give up because of the weight of responsibility or because of tremendous difficulty. The armor represents the tough moments and the magnet on top that made each step easier after you had done the hard work to take the first hundred steps. The magnet on top represented the willpower and experience that will make your future endeavors easier to bear. Because with the right kind of people by your side and with the right kind of mindset, you can focus and achieve anything, no matter the weight or the problem. So now you know that the hard part in every situation you will face in the future are in the very first few steps, and then it'll get easier. You have proven yourselves and can now join my royal court and help make our kingdom safe and equitable 
for all of our citizens. I wish you courage for the next step and the next. I wish you peace in the middle of the storm. I wish you unexpected joy, strength to see you through, and a heart wide open to all the love surrounding you. It's surrounding you. Friends, let's come into a space of prayer. I invite you to put down what you're holding. I invite you to let your gaze be soft. Close your eyes if that's comfortable. Take a deep breath. And let's pray together, friends. My God, what a week. My God, what a week. Sometimes I feel like that's how all prayers should start. My God, what a week. And this, this week in particular, I don't know about you, but this week has felt like it has flattened me a little bit. And folks, when we come together in prayer, we pray in community to hold our concerns and our cares in a space of hope and care because together we can make space for it all. The joy and the celebration, the sadness and the possibility, all of it. We also pray in community. This is my prayer. This is the image that I have when we gather in prayer every week. We pray together so that we can circle up around those who need our care the most. And so friends, if this week has been difficult for you, if your heart feels weary, if it feels run down, beat up, worn out by the cares of this world or the cares that you carry, or if you just feel like you could use a little bit more love this morning, I invite you to come in close. Come in close and imagine yourself around our chalice. Maybe you see yourself holding hands with the people standing around the chalice, sitting around the chalice. And just feel that space of connection. And if, friends, this is a week where your heart is overflowing with joy and celebration and energy, if you've got some energy to spare, please imagine yourself making a bigger circle around those of us in the center. This is what I envision when I imagine the ways that we hold and care for each other in prayer. Those of us who need holding, being encircled and protected, cared for by those of us who have a bit extra to give. Holy One, God of our being and our becoming, we are grateful for the miracle that is this life. We did not make it, we did not create it, we are not fully responsible, nor even remotely in control. Not of this great big life, not of this great big good earth. Thank you. Thank you for this day. 
Thank you for this time of care and connection, this time of being lifted up. We are so aware this week that all of life is on a move, that there are forces between us and beyond us, forces that we cannot name fully, that we cannot ever hope to tame, and that if we are wise, we will never try. Goddess, those forces have been moving this week, haven't they? We have yo-yoed between grief and joy and celebration and sadness, between a glimmer of possibility and the ongoing understanding that power concedes nothing without a demand. It never has, it never will, and no court case is going to change that. That whatever may have happened in that courtroom, in that jury room last week, a big part of why it happened was because ordinary folks had faith and perseverance and organized and demanded a measure of accountability, and somehow it happened. To quote a chant from George Floyd Square on April 20th, this is what community looks like. This is what community looks like. And so let this be our prayer. May the grip of addiction be loosened. May the weight of oppression be lightened. May joy break through and may love make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so. And amen. Spirit of life, come unto me. Sing in my heart all the stirrings of compassion. Blow in the wind, rise in the sea. shape of justice. Roots hold me close, wings set me free. Spirit of life, come to me, come to me. Beloved, it was so good to get to be with many of you in person this week. Some of us gathered here for the first time in over a year last weekend on Sunday, as many of you moved and came through the parking lot to celebrate the wrap-up of our annual giving campaign. It did me so good to see you in person. I saw many of you in person this week too when we gathered at George Floyd Square. As we heard the guilty verdicts handed down in the trial of Derek Chauvin and the murder of George Floyd. I saw so many of you there in action. You were there at the entrances to the square greeting the new and familiar faces. You were there celebrating this significant moment of accountability. You were there in person and in spirit, I know, joining together in the interfaith prayer that was happening. We were there in person and in spirit. We were there renewing our shared commitment to creating community where everyone can thrive free of the soul corroding effects of racism and white supremacy. The community where each and every one of us can flourish. Seeing you in person, knowing you were there in spirit, it did my heart so much good in this difficult week. It lifted me up. You lifted me up. We lifted each other up. 
That's what we do in community. And I'll tell you, there has been a chant from George Floyd Square that has been just resonating through my body, similar to Arif, his was, this is what community looks like. For me, it was that, and it was also, when I arrived at the square, just as the verdicts were being handed down, and as my body settled in next to many of yours, I heard this chant. One down, three to go. One down, three to go. Now, I have to admit, I was a little confused at first when I heard it. It wasn't what I was expecting to hear as the chant from the crowd. I thought, oh, what is going on? I don't get it. And then it clicked. The crowd was chanting about continuing to keep going. The crowd was saying, we're not done yet. We're going to continue this fight for accountability until all four officers who were complicit in or contributed to the murder of George Floyd are held accountable. One down, three to go, they were saying. Don't stop. Don't stop. This conviction is significant, yes, and it took uprisings around the country and around our world. It took the dedicated efforts of activists and medical examiners and attorneys and people out there in the street to arrive at this new kind of accountability for the murder of a black man in broad daylight at the hands of the state. It took all of this to get to this moment. And this moment matters, but don't forget that crowd, that community was saying that it's one down, three to go. One down, three to go in demanding accountability for the murder of George Floyd. And then even as we were there in the square together. Makia Bryant, a 16-year-old black girl, was being killed by the Columbus police, whom she called for help in de-escalating a fight. One down, three to go, one down, so many more to go. I've been thinking about the story that Amy told us this morning. I knew it was coming. I've been thinking about the story in many ways all week. The story of a people charged with the task of somehow making it up a mountain in a full suit of armor. How the strongest tried and failed. How people tried again and again to meet that moment and accomplish the task. How doing it together, how doing it together as a group with rest and encouragement and perseverance and a lift from forces unseen were finally the keys to that kingdom. Together, rest, encouragement, perseverance, a lift from forces unseen. That's what it took. I keep thinking that while each step, each move they made up the mountain was important and key and it was hard and it took everything in them, the goal was never one step. The goal was to get all the way up to the top of the mountain as a community to live into a new way of being. That's the goal. So I keep thinking about that regarding our experience together this week. I keep thinking that the conviction of Derek Chauvin was one move up the mountain, one part of the climb that for many of us required leaving it all on the field, one important move that we made as individuals and as a community, wearing the full weight of oppression 
and grief and exhaustion. It was one moment, one measure of accountability that the families of innumerable victims have been calling out for for generations. It is so important to recognize that we have made this important move to appreciate and lift up the work that has been done and the pivot point that is possible now that this could be in accountability and justice. It's important to rest, to encourage each other, and then to keep on going. Because dear God, the goal is not the conviction of more police officers for the murder of black and brown and indigenous children and adults. Please God, don't let that ever be our real goal. Our goal is something so much bigger and better than accountability for murder. Our goal is to release ourselves from the soul corroding effects of racism and white supremacy and all forms of oppression. Our goal is to live into a new way of being where all of us can flourish and thrive. That is the goal, that is the top of the mountain, that is what we are climbing for. This week, our Twin Cities was in the national news again and again. We saw here in the metro area the arrival of activists and attorneys and legislators from all over the country who make it their mission to fight for racial justice and for a new way of being for us all. They arrived to support the family of Dante Wright and the protesters in Brooklyn Center. They stayed for the verdict in the Chauvin trial and they stayed some more to celebrate the life of Dante Wright at his funeral on Thursday. Now Dante's funeral, I'm sure some of you watched it. Maybe even some of you were there. Dante's funeral lifted up his life. It lifted up his smile, his humor, his dedication as a father, a son, a brother, a friend. They called him the Prince of Brooklyn Center because it is not since Prince's death that our cities have seen a funeral procession like his. Dante Wright, the Prince of Brooklyn Center. Over and over, the speakers at his funeral lifted up the biracial family that Dante is a part of, how his family centered love over division. They asked what would be different if only everyone had seen Dante the way that his family saw him. The young man he was, the person full of dignity that he was, if only the police officers could have seen him that way instead of as a threat. If the police officer who killed Dante Wright could have seen him the way she saw her own child, the attorney Ben Crump said, if he could have seen her, him, if she could have seen Dante the way that she sees her own child, he said, then that officer would never have reached for a taser, let alone a gun. The problem is when and how we see each other so differently, so wrong. When we fail to see each other as full of worth and dignity, when we fail to know each and every one of us 
as beloved. Beloved. Last week, we talked about hell as living in a state of disconnection from ourselves and each other, from the earth and from all that we hold holy. We talked about paradise being a state of unbroken solidarities when we are connected with ourselves, with each other, with this earth, with all that we hold holy. Paradise is connection, is unbroken solidarity, is seeing each and every one of us as beloved, beloved, beloved. That is the goal at the top of the mountain, to know ourselves beloved, to know each other as beloved, to create a new way of being where all of us can flourish and thrive. That is the goal at the top of the mountain. Last week, I told you that solidarity looked like George Floyd's brother leaving the trial of Derek Chauvin to go join the family of Dante Wright in the streets to offer comfort and support. This week, I tell you, solidarity looked like the families of Emmett Till, of Oscar Grant, of Jamar Clark, Philando Castile, the boyfriend of Brianna Taylor, the families of family of George Floyd, all there at the funeral of Dante Wright. All of them there together. Solidarity. Solidarity. A promise made to each other that they will offer comfort and support, that they will walk hand in hand until justice is served. And I think until we make it to the top of the mountain, we will keep on climbing. I imagine those families saying to each other, even with the weight of oppression, even with the heaviness of grief, even with the guarantee that the masses will continue to smear our beloved's names. We will find a way to get one more step up that mountain to make one more move closer to our goal. They are saying to each other, we will cheer each other on. We will rest and give encouragement. We will dig deep into our utmost reserves and we will keep on moving up this mountain. Next step, next stop. This is a heavy commitment these families are making to each other, to their beloveds. It is a heavy commitment. And somehow in the midst of the weight of oppression and the heaviness of grief, there is hope too in that state of solidarity. There is hope in the community that continues to be created. There is hope in the ways that we lift each other's up. There is hope in seeing that others can survive something so awful and heartbreaking and live on and sometimes even create beauty and connection from it. There is hope in the energy that climbing together brings. There is hope in the way that making one move up the mountain somehow makes the next one possible and the next one possible and the next one possible. There is hope for me in the lift that forces un 
unseen, unseeable forces, the lift that they can give us as we make our way up the mountain to our goal of knowing ourselves and each other beloved, thriving, and flourishing. So I'll tell you that for me, that magnet at the top of the mountain, that unseen force is the ancestors. It is the ancestors for me. It's no secret of physics. It is the push of the ancestors. It is the pull and the promise of the future. This unseen force that lifts us up as we go. It's every single person who has ever lifted their voice for justice, who has ever found a way to dance again in the face of death, who has ever managed to live while holding the reality of joy and pain that so often are deeply intertwined in this life. This unseen force lifting us up. It is the solidarity of family with family, of community advocating for justice, committed to thriving that extends all the way back into the past and all the way forward into the future. We are being pushed and pulled toward the top of this mountain. Now, I am not naive. I know this is a steep climb for all of us and I know that it will hurt. But I also know that what we are bringing into being is a world of joy and justice and flourishing. I know that what we will bring into being is a world where all of us can see each other as we truly are, whole and holy and worthy, beloved, beloved, beloved. There are so many steps, so many stops, so many moves still to make as we make our way up this mountain, demanding accountability and full justice and flourishing. We're gonna have to take the rest we need when we need it. We're gonna have to encourage each other when we falter. And we're gonna have to keep our eyes, our minds on the goal, the real goal of community, of flourishing, of joy. That is where we are headed, friends. Living in a state of unbroken solidarity free from the soul-corroding effects of racism and white supremacy and all oppression so that we can all flourish and thrive. That is where we are going. Now, I know I have said this already, but I feel like it needs to be said again and again. Recovery from racism and white supremacy and all forms of oppression is a lifelong spiritual practice. Learning to live with joy and pain woven together the way they are, it is a lifelong spiritual practice. It is never one and done. It is never even one down, three to go. This is a lifelong practice. And we're going to take one move and then another and another as we climb together as we feel the push of the ancestors and the pull of the promise of a future we may not even live to know, but we will know our place in this line of ancestors and future as we live into the fulfillment of the universalist vision of each and every person whole and holy and worthy of a love so big it will not let any one of us go, of a circle so wide that all of us can thrive. That is where we're heading. That is the life 
we invite you into when you journey with us as a spiritual companion in this community. So today I wanna to give you two really practical things you can do as we all continue the lifelong spiritual practice of recovery from racism, of living into the future we long for. Two very practical things you can do. First, I wanna let you know that your board of trustees has been hard at work this year, along with the support of our Director of Transformation and Liberation Ministries, Julika, who you know, They've been at work together crafting a new racial justice resolution that will be coming before you, the congregation, at our annual meeting on June 6th for your support and confirmation. This resolution builds on the racial justice resolution that was recommended by the board and passed by the congregation in 2015. And it calls us even further into imagining and creating a culture and a community in our church and beyond where racism and white supremacy and all forms of oppression are rooted out and replaced by practices that support the flourishing of us all. You can learn more about this resolution in the weeks ahead as your board hosts town hall conversations that you're all invited to attend, to learn more, to ask questions, to consider your vote. And second, in just a few moments, we will celebrate with the newest members of our church who have chosen to join our community over the last few months. You'll hear what brought them here and in listening to them. I hope you might consider renewing your commitment to your lifelong spiritual practice of living in community, of creating that community where all can thrive, that you might consider renewing that commitment in your heart. And if you're new to us and you wanna consider membership, that you might consider that too. We are in this together, friends, each and every one of us, beloved, beloved, beloved. That is the kind of community we are creating here at church and beyond. This is what community looks like. May it be so, amen. Thank you, thank you. Friends, here in this church, we are about that lifelong practice that Reverend Jen just preached about. We are about coming together because we know we cannot do it alone. And even in a time of pandemic and physical distance and only connecting online, church, I gotta tell you, new folks have been coming in. Today was going to be a new member ceremony, but in the midst of all else that has been happening, we weren't able to get materials for all of the new members. And so rather than try to force people to pull things together when many of us are just trying not to fall apart, we elected to have a great big new member welcome in the fall. 
where hopefully a great many will join us in person. And in the meantime today, want to introduce you to just a few of our new members so that you as a church can get to get a feel for the folks who are joining. And here's what I want you to know. The folks who have joined the church recently, about 99% of them are people who have never set foot in the building. These are myths. Some don't even live here yet. They are becoming a part of this congregation solely based on their experience in our online services, our online groups, and for many, their experience of the church showing up in the streets for justice. There are people joining the church who we have never met in person. Think about that for a moment, church. That blows me away. And what I want you to know is that these folks are joining this church, this congregation, because they feel that deep commitment of you, church, this deep commitment to the universalist message of love and hope, and they want to be a part of it. So let's meet some of our new members. Hi, my name is Mario Doy. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm super excited to be joining Hearst Universalist after doing a newcomer circle and a Pathways to Membership class. Um, I just moved to Minneapolis after going to school in Vermont. Um, I just moved here for grad school. Um, I'm studying literature, and I've really been looking for a spiritual community, um, and I felt so welcome through all the programming I've done thus far, um, through the LGBTQ group and um, through all of the various services I've been a part of, so I'm really looking forward to joining you all. Thanks. Hi, I'm Jennifer Valancourt. I currently live in St. Louis Park, and I am a retired school teacher. I taught in Minneapolis for 33 years. About a year ago, I started attending First Universalist, and I absolutely fell in love with the people here and with the services and with the thoughts and the, the learning that I was doing. So I decided I should join. So thank you for having me. This is a wonderful place to be. Hi everyone, my name is Jack Gramlick and I'm really excited to be a new member at First Universalist. I'm pretty new to the area and I don't actually move in until July. Once I get there, I'm hoping to start with some service projects and see what I can do to help through First U. I'm pretty interested in police and prison abolition and it's a great privilege to be able to join a faith community committed to racial justice and focused on ending white supremacy culture. Hi, my name is Dallas, this is Oliver, and I am excited to be joining First Universalist Church because I feel like the community really aligns with my values. The people that I've met through the church have been incredible and it's an opportunity for me to find a little bit more accountability and um, company as I live a life of the best ethics I can manage. New members. Those of you who are just on the screen, those of you who weren't, we're so glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. Thank you for strengthening us, for reminding us of who we are and whose we are and what we are about. And we will continue to build a beautiful community together here at the church and in the larger world.
Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.